Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Oh, oh, now it's on. Uh, good. We're just barely into good afternoon, so good afternoon and welcome to SACPA. I'm Mary Shillington. I'm going to be your moderator for today. And we've got a very exciting uh, uh, guest speaker today, so I'm going to just take very quickly uh, the uh, housekeeping stuff. Remember to turn off your cell phones, please, so they don't bother us in the middle of the time. Uh, The cost for the lunch is $11. Put it in your basket and have somebody at your table to check it. Uh, We're grateful to... um, the other groups who are a part of our organization uh, that help with the U of L for the support, the country kitchen here, who will make sure we have a good meal. Looks like it's going to be beef today. Uh, uh, for Shaw TV Channel Nine and for the CKXW eighty-eight point three. Oh boy, that's a mouthful. Uh, uh, anyway, they they uh, they do the radio live and. Uh, uh, and anybody else that supports us. And remember, uh, we're a volunteer organization, so if you uh, aren't a member, see Annalise over here, and she'll gladly take your money. Uh, and uh, remember, there's, uh, we're online, and you can always get some information that way too. Our usual procedure, 25, 30 minutes for this portion. Uh, Lois has 25 minutes, and then we'll have our lunch, and you, you're encouraged to think up questions. And then we'll have a question, a Q&A afterwards. So I don't really know where to start with this woman who has been very busy, uh, a very dynamic person. And uh, she is, uh, uh, of course, she's here to talk about the Senate and, and uh, the Canadian Senate and to be or not to be. And, and Knut has a T-shirt like that on, so pay attention to that. Um, she... She was an independent senator in 1998, and I think, I think she retired about 10 years ago. Um, and uh, so she's talking about that, about that. She's also done so many things. She, she is a United Church minister, ordained minister, since 65. And she was the first woman moderator of the United Church of Canada, and the moderator is responsible for the whole national church. And she did that in 1980. She has done all kinds of things um, in the world. Uh, and that about some of that is uh, the book that she is selling that, uh, uh, that Tad will have uh, be, be selling outside the door for $20. I want to be in that number. And all kinds of people uh, have contributed to it. Cool, cool saints I have known. Uh, people like Margaret Lawrence, Ted Scott, who was the Anglican primate, uh, all kinds of interesting people. And it's been a family production as well because her daughter edited it and her granddaughter did the, the designs uh, on it. Uh, and so, but she, she's going to have, have some interesting things to tell you and interesting things about all, like I can't imagine all the things she's done. I don't know how she's managed to uh, keep going and she's, She's had a recent birthday that is uh, kind of a significant birthday. So anyway, I'll ask Lois to come forward, please. Lois Wilson.
if you can't hear me at any point, just put your hand up and I'll slow down because I tend to speak rather quickly. I'm delighted to be back in Lethbridge. I haven't been here for, oh golly, since 81 when I was moderator. And the main thing I remember is the university set in the hill. Isn't that right? And Erickson was the architect? Yeah. I, I remember that about Lethbridge. But I'll carry different memories back after meeting some of you people today. Um, so I've, I've chosen to uh, take the topic from uh, Knut's T-shirt, To Be or Not To Be, the Senate. And I want to explore three areas. One would be, what, was the, what is the intended purpose of the Senate, since very few people know that. My personal experience of the Senate is the second area. And the third one was, what are our options for the future? And that's the most important part. So I'll try and say less about the first two and get to the options uh, as quickly as I can. So first, the intended purpose of the Senate. Um, there would be no confederation, there would be no Canada unless we had the Senate. It was a deal, breaker, a deal uh, broker, so Quebec and the Maritimes would not come into confederation unless they had equal representation with Ontario, so that there were only three regions at that time, Quebec, Maritimes, and Ontario, and, and um, uh, Quebec and the Maritimes said, we, we don't want to be overpowered with all those people from Ontario. So, we, and it, so it was not rep by pop, it was equal representation. Now, since then, of course, Canada's greatly changed, and now we have the West. They call it the West. <laughs> Don't differentiate by provinces. So something has to be adjusted there. But the main principle was to have equal representation from each region so that the people in that area could have a voice. And, and that meant a representation from minorities. Uh, that's very important because that's not taken into consideration in the commons. Uh, the, it was the minorities that, that were, were to be represented, not only the principal minorities, but the ethnic minorities, gender minorities, and so on and so forth. Um, its main purpose uh, is, is what we call responsible government, and we inherited this from the UK, so we have the crown, which is the overall symbol, independent symbol. We have the commons who are elected, who are parties, and they, their function is to hold the cabinet accountable, and the function of the Senate is not to govern, but to hold accountable those who do, which is the commons um, and the cabinet. Um, that's its purpose. Now, um, it used to be an appointment for life, but that was changed back in 68, I think. Many people don't know that. So I had to retire when I was 75 to my great regret. I'd still love to be there even with the mess it's in. Um, it needs somebody to help it along, I think. Um, but the Senate are all appointed by the Governor General on the recommendation of the Prime Minister, and uh, as, you, as I say, to check on the elected body and to keep it responsible. Um, to say that senators are elected does not mean it's illegitimate. We have uh, judges are not elected, ombudsmen are not elected, commissioners are not elected, there's a variety of people in governance in the Canadian system that are not elected, and I should know because legitimate election does not uh, automatically confer legitimacy. I mean, look at our mayor in Toronto, for example. Anyway, I just mentioned that. <laughs> um, the pluses in the Senate, briefly, are the continuity uh, and historical memory some people are there, some people stay far too long. 
but but if they stay for you know a fair length of time, there is historical memory, and that's really important in governing a country. Um, you also don't have to get reelected, so you're not constantly looking over your shoulder. Uh, you can say what you think, and there's a vast range of professional experience there. Now the minuses are. Uh, you do get a sense of entitlement. I mean, I had all these guys saluting me, and at first I saluted them back. I didn't know what they were saluting me for. But, but they do make you feel as if you are somebody, and you might get confused and think that. <laughs> so that's one of the minuses. Um, and as in every organization, 10% of the people do the work, and the others come along for the food. So uh, <laughs> those, are the, those are the minuses. Those are some of the minuses. There are other ones, too. So the function, the main function, is to review the legislation that comes from the commons. And um, the senators review every piece of legislation. It cannot be into law until it's been looked at by a Senate committee uh, in clause by clause. It's really, really uh, detailed work. And it's backed up by professional research by the Library of Parliament, which is the best library in the country, I think. And, and the Senate can adopt the legislation or amend it or reject it. Uh, it very seldom rejects it. That is just not done because understood that the elected commons are the legislators. We are, the senators are to keep them in check and, and accountable. Um, it, we, Senate keeps an attendance record. So, I mean, you know, you can tell if your senator's been in Mexico for the summer or the winter. <laughs> uh, we also are televised, so it's open to the public. Um, in terms of the legislation, there are three instances I can think of where the Senate stepped in and, and summarily rejected what was happening. Uh, one was Tad Mitsui told me in 1949, there was an order that uh, the Canadian government was going to send all the Japanese back to Japan as enemy, enemy aliens came to the Senate and they rejected that. They rescinded that. Second thing I think of is on the abortion issue when it was a hot issue. And Pat Carney, who was a conservative, flew in from Vancouver to cast the deciding vote, which took uh, uh, abortion out of the criminal code. And the third one was uh, the free trade agreement, NAFTA, where the Senate insisted on an open debate, and it was an election issue. So it wasn't just allowed to go through the way our current ones are going through. So those three instances, is that uh, it kind of justifies it in my eyes. But the, the thing that is mainly the contribution of the Senate are the committees. It's got a strong committee structure. Um, and, and, you know, I've been testifying before the Commons Committees, and I had some trouble there. They're more like a floating crap game because you go in and, and somebody's got another meeting, they're a very important meeting. They don't have time to listen to you, but they've got to rush off to another meeting. Whereas in the Senate, that's your job. That's your only job almost. And so you sit there, and, and uh, it's recommended that senators sit on only two committees because you've got a lot of work to do. And I read the memoirs of Eugene Forsey, who was a senator, and he uh, chose to be on the Committee of Regulations, which is a very smart move, because the regulations are key to, to uh, legislation. Um, for example, the government passes a bill that says the budget is deemed to be, appro is deemed to be approved without uh, examination. Everything is deemed to be okay, but nobody's ever looked at it. <laughs> and Eugene got himself on that committee to say, I object to that. I object to its deemed to, we're going to look at that clause by clause. Uh, it's also very useful when the, uh, if the, if the um, government passes an omnibus bill, which nobody's looked at, and there's things hidden there, and you can't get it debated because it's an omnibus bill, 
when it comes to the Senate, they can, they, their job is to look at everything carefully, turn it back if it needs amending. And also, if a bill is fast-tracked, which leads, of course, to closure, which leads to no debate. <laughs> so those three instances, I think, um, justify the committee structure. I, my most lasting work was um, on the Human Rights Committee, since that's been my life work, as you'll find out if you read my book out there. Uh, it's, uh, that book is mostly my human rights work with the ecumenical community worldwide. Uh, but I looked at Canada's human rights record, particularly in terms of our, the way we treat Aboriginal people. And um, my one accomplishment in the, in the Senate after four years was to establish a standing committee on human rights in the Senate whose function is not to take pot shots at Colombia and China and all those people who violate human rights, but to look at Canada's record. How do we treat uh, the conventions that we sign? I mean, the UN Convention on the Child, those wonderful UN treaties. We're wonderful Boy Scouts internationally, but it is not embedded in domestic legislation. So that was my work. And um, it's still there. They're still looking at it. So uh, I was proud of that. So um, that's mainly about the intended purpose of the Senate. Secondly, how I found it, my own experience there. I got this call, I was telling Tad, uh, uh, I was home and I got this call saying, would I consider uh, allowing my name to stand as a possible appointee to the Senate from Ontario? And I'm afraid I laughed because like I don't fit the image of a senator. And I thought like I'm not tall, I'm not male, I haven't got a paunch, I haven't got gray hair. And my husband said, don't laugh. I think it's serious. So, so I, I had three questions I had to ask this person who was acting on behalf of Cretien. Uh, what does the Senate do? Because I have no idea. What's my time commitment? Because I mean, I really like to ski, and I'm not going to give that up. And uh, thirdly, I, I, I'm not a liberal. I'm not a conservative. Um, so I'll have to sit as an independent. He said, uh, well, I'll, I'll have to phone you back on the first two. Like, what does it do? <laughs> he didn't know. <laughs> it was somewhat hilarious. Um, but he did get back to me on that. <clears throat> and he said, uh, well, actually, uh, the Cretan would consider appointing you as an independent. And I said, great. Um, and so he did. And I sat as an independent. I only had four years. They didn't think of me soon enough. Uh, and you have to retire when you're 75. But that's how it was appointed. The requirements for appointment are not arduous. You have to be over 30, you have to own uh, $4,000 worth of property, and you have to reside in the province, the residency, you've heard of that one. <laughs> and so I was okay on all of those. Um, the, the requirements of residency are not as strict as a minor hockey league uh, <laughs> requirements. <laughs> you know, they really need to be tightened up. And it worked on the honor system. Some people did not honor the honor system. So we have um, appointments of 104 senators. We have 10 from New Brunswick, uh, 10 from Nova Scotia, 4 from PEI, 24 from Quebec, 24 from Ontario, 24 from the West. Do you like that? Yeah. Six from Labrador, one from Nunavut, one from the Yukon, um, and one from the Northwest Territories. So that's not very good either, but that's the way it is right now. Um, The uh, minorities are well represented in the Senate the way they are not in the Commons because it's an appointment system. For example, women, we had 35% women while I was there as opposed to 20 in the Commons. And uh, we had somebody from, we had two from the Arctic, we had somebody from Acadia, 
we, I mean, you get, you get groups represented there that are not represented uh, by the electoral system, and I applaud that. Um, because I sat as an independent, I was freed of going to all caucuses, which was a great, great gift. But I, I knew what was going on because I would say to somebody, what happened in the Liberal caucus today? What did you think of it? And they'd say, what did you think? Oh, no, I'd say, I'd like to hear from you first. <laughs> then they'd tell me everything. They thought I was in it, and I'd do the same with the Conservatives. So I knew what was going on, but I didn't have to spend every morning in caucuses. So because of that, um, the foreign minister became aware of this and uh, began to appoint me to things that needed doing representing the Liberal government, and he appointed, he trusted me, and he knew my, he knew I was an independent person. So he appointed me as a Canada Special Envoy to the Sudan, which, as you may know, is split by civil war, and we tried desperately to broker a peace process, but, but we didn't, we weren't able to. But I did that, spent a lot of time on Sudan. Uh, he appointed me to lead a delegation on religious freedom in China, which I was well-equipped to do because of my international ecumenical experience with the churches. Uh, he asked me to go to North Korea to kind of soften up the North Koreans in preparation for diplomatic relations, which we later did establish. We actually had diplomatic relationship with North Korea for two years before that was rescinded. And I remember sitting in the Western Hotel in Ottawa meeting these two Koreans from north, the north who said, you know, we're here to look at a place for an embassy but we've just been told by foreign affairs that uh, pack up and go home because uh, we're not going to play with you anymore. And that was the end of that. And I guess we did that, and I support this, that it's much better to talk, to, uh, to engage, even with the enemy, than to throw bombs, than to fight. And I still maintain that. Uh, I was also very active because I was a woman, and uh, uh, in my period in the Senate, the uh, time for the celebration of the famous five, you Westerners should know about the famous five women, Yes, who got women recognized as able to run in the Senate. And we celebrated that. And to celebrate that, they, the Commonwealth invited me to go to England and speak about uh, the women's situation in governance in, in England and Scotland and Ireland, which I, I really love. So I was able to do quite a bit in that area, also with the United Nations. And that's all because I sat as an independent. And was, uh, it, the downside was that I, I, I was robbed of some time to look at the legislation, but my colleagues were there, so I, that was fine. Um, so I'm saying this because I think the committee work of the Senate is the best contribution it makes. It's not well known, but it's thorough, it's, it's, uh, it's taken seriously, and it's there. And there are, no, there are enough resources given to you. Uh, to do your work properly. I mean, I couldn't believe it. As a minister, a United Church minister, I never even had a secretary, and not, then I had four people working for me. It was wonderful. Whoa. You know, I had one on Sudan, one on China, one on women, and one on what was coming from the commons. So uh, you had all this stuff laid out. All right, now this is the most important part. What are the future options? Uh, would we be better without a Senate? Uh, without a Senate, it, if we simply abolish it, um, it would give increased power to the cabinet and to the bureaucracy and to central Canada, I'm convinced of. But apart from that, uh, it's practically impossible. You remember when Stephen Harper went to the Supreme Court and asked about abolition, and uh, all the provinces except Alberta and Saskatchewan <laughs> said it requires unanimous support of all the provinces. So... Um, at that point, Stephen Harper dropped it when he realized it was going to be impossible constitutionally to do so. 
Uh, and I think if, if we are for abolition, you better look at then what is, what is going to put in its place. So that dis if that disappeared, what would you put in its place? Because that's not often talked about. Um, elected Senate, well, that's sometimes the, the option. I'm wary of that when I look at the U.S. system, which is not our system, which has two elected competing bodies, which frequently are in dreadlock. I think if we had an elected Senate, since they would represent the province, they would represent more people than the, somebody, an MP elected from a constituency would have more power, and therefore they would be in, dread, in, in uh, competition there. Um, if, if we kept the same length of term for senators, they'd be, they'd be there long after the Commons people were defeated, which again gives them more power. So I have a lot of questions about elected Senate. However, I have a problem with Trudeau, who says we, we, we declare them all independent. I mean, when all is said and done, the Senate is a political entity in the responsible government setup, so it's not apolitical. And the question is, and political parties are partisan and should be. How to be partisan but independent is the question. You know, how to be a, a good conservative or a good liberal but independent. Um, and I think Trudeau should be preparing people for constitutional change, not simply making a statement like that. I was at a forum like this in, in uh, Toronto, and Art Eggleton was there, and he's in the Senate. He used to be mayor of Toronto, so I thought he'd been going on and on about how we need everybody independent in the Senate. So I went up to afterwards and said, Art, that's a wonderful idea. When are you going to declare yourself an independent? <laughs> he said, I can't. I'm a liberal. <laughs> I said, exactly. So uh, there's a lot of a lot of empty rhetoric around this, I think. Um, there need to be some independence to give a healthy balance, and I certainly held the, the independence. Well, about four people became independents after I joined, <laughs> and we began to have the balance of power, which is a very interesting situation. Um, okay, the options. If we're going to talk about reforming the Senate, we need to talk about reforming the Commons as well, because it's all of an entity, and boy, do they need it. Um, from the voting system, which is first past the post, so that uh, the prime minister can, you know, can govern with 35% of the votes, to um, the speeches, which are usually scripted, and um, so you've got a dysfunctional. There's no real debate now, uh, if you've ever watched watched uh, question period. Um, I met a parliamentary assistant. I won't tell you to whom at a dinner the other night in Ottawa, and he said to me, you know, it's only a title, I can't do anything, because my, my bosses won't allow me to. And I said, well, what would you like to do? And he said, I would like to bring together all the, the top faith leaders in Canada to see if we have short, shared core values, to see how that can be translated into some of our legislation. But I can't do that because I'm not allowed to. So there needs to be some reform at, at several levels there. Uh, the appointment system is uh, abused by every prime minister, although it's legal, so I shouldn't say it's abused. They can add eight seats if there's a, a crisis, and they have all done it. So Mulroney did it to get NAFTA through. Creighton did it to get the Clarity Bill through, and I was, I was pressured for that one. Uh, and it, it's there. Um, it, you know, what we should be looking at is the systems of other countries that have representative government. The UK, for example, have set up an appointments commission. Now, you may think their House of Lords is antediluvial, but it's way ahead of our Senate now because they have reformed it. This appointments commission asks, is, it consists of seven people, a chair, 
somebody from each political party and three non-political people. Their work is confidential. They recommend applicants. They call for applicants to the House of Lords. You could apply to be a senator. And um, of the 5,000 they had, they could only choose 100. So they, got the, they, had, they really looked at a range of experience that they wanted and recommended it then. They also vet nominees of the prime minister because he's still able to do that. Um, but that seems a very good system to me. They get uh, people with very broad experience. Uh, another little twist is that uh, the appointments um, sometimes alternate between party leaders. So the prime minister doesn't always have the same appointments, but the leader of the opposition gets to do that on alternate years. Caribbean nations are ahead of us in that they, they say that appointments to their upper house alternate between the prime minister, the leader of the opposition, and the governor general. So every three years, the prime minister gets the chance, and every three years, the leader of the opposition gets it. Every three years, the governor general gets it. So those seem to me as, as viable alternatives that we should look at. And the voting system, too. Um, I know there's great controversy around that. I was elected a moderator of the night church on the single transferable ballot. You know, I was elected, I think, on the fifth ballot. So you, you do it, and then somebody drops, and then, so those people transfer their votes to somebody else. And so by the, by the time you get to the winner, at least, at least you know they've got the majority of the people. Uh, and the other thing is proportional representation, which is quite controversial. But there are countries that do it, New Zealand and others, that I think we could learn from. And instead of just, um, you know, without without really thinking, say, let's abolish the Senate or let's elect it, why don't we look at some of the alternatives to keep what I think is a, is a very useful system of government with a long history of, of workability, but it needs a lot of tweaking. Let me just finish up by saying that the ethical question is, is central in my view. Um, I can't believe why these senators need an ethics commissioner. Aren't they grown people? <laughs> Don't they know right from wrong? I think they do. Uh, and I I'm, I'm just regret that some of them have brought the whole, the whole governmental system into disrepute because one of the things that we're desperately needing is to restore credibility to the whole political process in our country so that young people will begin to honor it and become involved and engaged and we build together the kind of country we want. So ethics is central, but I don't think you're going to solve it by an ethics commissioner. So over to you. Thank you.